0: Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you wanna know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson.
1: Pleasure to have you with us as we continue our series of lessons looking at the life of Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. You can be opening there. I would appreciate that. Follow along with us in your own Bible or your Bible app or whatever that might be. For all of our young ones out there, don't forget to be listening for those three words that Charles mentioned earlier. I have a little different set of words here, so I'm not going to say them because I'm going to mess it up. Uh, But we want to be looking for those words uh, today. And so I'm glad uh, that you are here Today we're going to be looking at the true story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And this account again is given for us in the Gospel of John chapter 4. And if you were able to watch our video, the 5-Minute Friday video that goes out every Friday, we talked about who the Samaritans were, and more importantly, we talked about why there was so much hatred and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. But some of you may not have had an opportunity to watch that, so I'm going to give you the 30-second version and really encourage you to go back and take a listen to that 5-Minute Friday. If you're not getting that, uh, you can uh, uh, subscribe to our online page, our YouTube page at Beltline, and... And you'll be able to get those. And those are sent out every Saturday through the office as well. Or every Friday. Uh, since it's five minute Friday. It gets sent out on Friday. Uh, so if you don't have. If you're not getting those emails. Then contact the office. And we'll make sure you get on our list. But uh, but if you remember. After the kingdom divides. You have Saul, David, and Solomon. Who are the kings of Israel back in the Old Testament. And after that. Rehoboam and Jeroboam become the leaders of Israel. Jeroboam takes ten tribes. Who rebel against Rehoboam in the south. Rehoboam becomes the king of of Jerusalem and then on uh, the north you have these 10 tribes of Israel who have nothing but wicked kings over and over and over and over again. And so God finally has enough and in 721 BC he, he brings in the Assyrian army who carries away those 10 northern tribes into captivity. Now not everybody left but the majority of people in those 10 tribes were carried off into captivity and what Assyria would do is they would take other conquered nations and bring them into to another place that they had conquered. So you have different nations, foreign nations, who are brought right there to those ten northern tribes of Israel. And what happens is they begin to intermingle, and they begin to intermarry, and a new race is formed uh, called the Samaritans. And that's the short version. I really want to encourage you to go and look at the longer version, uh, but for, for lack of a better word, the Jews considered uh, the, the Samaritans in a constant state of uncleanness. And so they avoided, the Jews at all, or they avoided the Samaritans at all costs. And because of this, there were so many wars and fighting, and there was so much more going on between between these two people, these two people groups. And I think understanding that background is going to help us understand a little bit more about what's going on here in John 4. Let's read beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees uh, when, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and parted again for Galilee and he had to he had to, he had to uh, If you underline, I want you to underline those three words or four words He had to pass through Samaria and so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob was given to his son. Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. Now if Jesus and his followers were traveling north from Jerusalem to Galilee, the natural route would have been to travel right through Samaria. Natural that is geographically, but sometimes as we've already talked about, those Samaritans who hated the Jews, when Jewish travelers traveled that way, there would be attacks, there would be uh, robbery there would be all kinds of things going on and so it just became easier for the Jews to go around Jer- uh, to go around Samaria they, they would go to Jericho and up rather than, uh, than than going through that region but Jesus doesn't do that this time this time they travel north right through Samaria and apparently they do so without any trouble and it's there in the sixth hour of the day which is our noon time that Jesus finds himself alone by Jacob's well. And I want to say this before we dive into the rest of the story. Here's the first lesson for us in this. And there are three things I really want to talk about today. There are three walls that Jesus is going to break down. And I believe these are the same three walls that God is going to call us as his people to break down as well. So here's the first wall. The first wall that Jesus breaks down is a wall of racial prejudice. Jesus breaks down walls of racial prejudice. You see, the common thought of the day was avoid these people at all costs. These Samaritans are losers. They are dogs. They are absolutely worthless. And listen, nobody would have thought any differently of Jesus if he had done what everybody else did and just went around Samaria. But Jesus wasn't going to do that. That is not who he is. And it cannot be who we are either. I I ask you to underline something in verse 4. The text says Jesus had to. He had to go, through. did he have to? No. But in Jesus' mind, he had to go through Samaria. For Jesus, this is a must. He was not going to allow centuries of hatred and violence and bigotry to keep this woman who we're about to meet, and more importantly, the Samaritans as a whole, from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He broke down the social norms. He threw aside racial prejudice. He would have none of it. And I think we need to take a, book, a page from Jesus' book and make it our goal as well. We cannot be a people who build up walls of division between ourselves and those who may not look like us, who may not dress like us, or think like us, or vote like us. We cannot build up these walls. Racial prejudice has no place in the kingdom of God. It certainly has no place in His church. God was not pleased with Israel. Because they refused to be a light to all nations. This was what they were called to be from the beginning of the promise made to Abraham. But they decided just to hang out with themselves. They refused to be that light to the people around them. And so God was not pleased. And Jesus came to show us what Israel was supposed to be. Jesus came to show us what it was supposed to look like. Jesus had to go through Samaria, and we must, like Jesus, tear down any of these walls. We've got to tear them down. Let me ask you this question. Where is Samaria today? Now, I'm not asking uh, where is it geographically. It's in the same place it's always been. I'm thinking about Samaria as a metaphor that represents a major political or cultural boundary that stands between the church and needy people. So, where is Samaria today? And whatever you come up with in your mind, you need to recognize that Jesus crossed those boundaries and we must do the same. Because Jesus is Savior of the whole world, not just America. He is Savior of the entire world, not just white people or black people or brown people or anybody else. He's the Savior of all of us. And Jesus took the risk he, he, he went to the margins of our world and he crossed them. This trip to Samaria is a really, really, really big deal. For Jesus, it meant leaving the usually traveled highways. For Jesus, it meant going maybe without the same companions that he always traveled with. And when Jesus walks into Samaria, he now is the outsider. Risk was joined to the cost. And I just want to ask you today to take the risk. Listen, we cannot just sit back and say, well, I'm glad I'm not a racist. I'm glad you're not a racist too. But what I'm asking you to do today is actively pursue unity with all men and all women. We are to be peacemakers, not peace lovers. This is a big deal. Jesus broke down walls of racial prejudice and his church must do the same. As we continue in verse 7, here's what the text says next. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, even the fact that Jesus spoke to her is outrageous. And we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus spoke to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his son's. And his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In many ways, this encounter that we see with this woman in John 4, I think stands in direct comparison with Jesus' talk with Nicodemus in chapter 3 that Scott talked all about. Think about the differences between these two. Jesus uh, talks to this woman who is an outcast, while Nicodemus was prestigious. She is an outsider. He is an insider. She is despised. He is held in honor. Nicodemus comes at night. She engages Jesus in the light of day. And I think the greatest difference that we'll see is her response to Jesus is significantly different than his was. And let me point out two things here that are going to help us understand this section of Scripture a little bit better. Some cultural things that we need to see. In this culture, number one, water collection was the responsibility of women. Water collection was the risk. Resp- you didn't see men doing this. In fact, fast forward to when Jesus is coming in to Passover and they're saying, well, where are we going to spend the Passover? And Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find a guy carrying water. Follow him. He'll take you to the place. That was, that was, that was not done. That's why it was easy for them to identify because men didn't do this job. This was a responsibility of women. Now listen, in a world that isolated women socially, this task wasn't entirely burdensome for them. This became an opportunity for them to meet and to talk. And it kind of became a a place. Think back through your your history. How many of of the uh, patriarchs found their wives at a well, right? Gehazi, Abraham's servant, finds a wife for his son at a well. Moses finds his wife at a well. Over and over again, we see this happening. So number one, this was a woman's responsibility in that culture. And number two, in that culture, water drawing took place either early in the morning Or late at dusk to avoid the Mediterranean heat. And so the fact that this woman comes at noon is a hint to us. It is a hint that she is not of high social standing. In fact, she is most likely isolated from her community. She comes at midday because the last thing that she wants to do is rub shoulders with the other women of the town. And to be honest, that makes Jesus' conversation with her even more remarkable. Because in this world, men rarely spoke to women in public. And single men were never to speak or touch women at any time. But Jesus... He he doesn't play these games. And even Jesus' disciples, as we'll look at in just a minute, are shocked when they return and Jesus is in a conversation with this woman. And that leads me to the second wall that Jesus breaks down. He doesn't just break down walls of racial uh, prejudice. Jesus breaks down walls of gender. The Jews didn't even think women were worthy of receiving the teaching of Torah. Torah. And Jesus says that is absolutely ridiculous. He engages this woman. He has a spiritual talk with her. He does not care what the social norms of the day are. Single guys don't talk to women. He doesn't care what everybody might be thinking or what everybody might be saying. She's a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You're single. He doesn't care about these man-made rules because he has a greater mission. As we'll read about in just a few minutes, he has food that the disciples don't even know about. And his food was the mission of God to proclaim the kingdom and to take his place as king. I want to come back to this idea of gender because there's more to be said here. And as we finish the lesson and we see the end of this story, I'm going to come back to this. And so uh, keep, your, keep posted for me on that. But as we've already seen and as we see again in this section of scripture, uh, what happens is that Jesus talks to people and they regularly misunderstand what he says. And you want to know why? Because Jesus is talking at a heavenly level and they are listening on an earthly level. I I think this is most clearly seen when Jesus mentions living water here. You see, to this woman, living water referred to water that flowed from a stream, right? It was moving water now other water stood still like what we'd see in a pond or at a well like they're sitting at. But living water was precious and it was valuable and it was the only water that could be used in ritual uh, uh, ritual offerings and washerings. Washerings, that's a new one. Washings to make pure unclean worshipers. Now everyone knew that Shechem had no streams. Shechem had no rivers. Even Jacob had to deal this, uh, dig this well in order to water his flocks. And so in this woman's mind, she thought, how can this Jew, how can this outsider, someone who doesn't even know the terrain, offer what nobody else has found? In short, there's no living water in Shechem. There's no living water in this region. But Jesus isn't just talking about physical water. He wants her to look deeper. He wants her to think spiritually. The water that Jesus offers eliminates thirst and it leads to eternal life. Jesus is talking about a new life that is available through the Spirit of God. He's talking about life that's available through the Spirit. And Jesus wants her to know that he is the source of this living water. This water which can transform even her in her isolation into something different. But that's not all. It's not simply an experience that Jesus is calling for. An experience that, that changes our state from, from, from thirsty to quenched or from lost to found. Jesus is offering a dynamic experience that makes a life as living as the water itself. This is what Jesus is offering her, and this is what Jesus offers every single person in the history of the world. The water of the Spirit can transform a life into a, a well that, that, that spills over, that overflows. Jesus wants her to know that the Spirit could transform her life into a well that overflows, that doesn't need or require reaching or dipping or buckets or anything like that. Let me ask you a question. What water have you been drinking spiritually? I'm not talking about Dasani or, or, or tap water or any of those things. I'm asking, what water are you drinking spiritually? If you've been trying to find satisfaction in your life through anything other than Jesus, you're always going to come back thirsty. You're always going to come away thirsty. What water are you drinking Her answer in verse 15 is great. She says, give me this water. But what we see is she still doesn't quite grasp what's going on. She's thinking physically. She's thinking, then I'll never have to come and see these women at this well ever again. To just let me me have this water so I'm never thirsty. I don't have to come draw. I don't have to come do this anymore. She has requested the water, but she doesn't understand the gift. Nor does she know the identity of the giver. And so that's what happens in this next section we're about to read. Jesus is going to tell her who he is. He's going to invite her into something so much more. Look at verse 16. Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. Oh, it just got real. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Interesting how the woman shifts gears here. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) I have perceived that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Let's get away from my love life, and let's talk about something else. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, if you underline in your Bible, oh, those are two big phrases. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshiper... The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus has just said some simply, incredibly amazing things. And I'm wondering if you caught them. Jesus is challenging everything. Jesus is challenging everything. Think back to what we've covered during this 18-month period of Jesus' life, this come and see section. Think back to what we've covered. Jesus overwhelms and he replaces abundantly, right? He does this over and over again. Uh, Jesus fills water vessels with wine, astonishing a party. He, he challenges the temple, suggesting that he himself will replace what he offers. He instructs a Jewish teacher in the deeper things of God. And now he comes to a traditional well associated with one of Israel's greatest heroes, Jacob. And he offers what Jacob never could, living water. And if that weren't enough, look at what he just said in this text. Look at what he did. Jesus challenges the sanctity and the significance of Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem. These are the holy places of the Samaritans. This is the holy place of the Jews. And he says, it's not about the mountain. And it's not about Jerusalem. You got to know, those are shocking words. Those are shocking words. He says, it's not the place that matters. Jesus says, I, I am what matters. I love how when Jesus reveals that he's more than just a Jew, this woman changes the subject. When he asks about her issues, she raises others. Oh, you Jews, you Jews say it's Jerusalem. What she's trying to say to Jesus is, you know what? You just go do what you do. You Jews do what you do. We're going to do what we Samaritans do. She's doing what everybody does today. Well, that's your truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. And Jesus will not allow her to do that. He will not permit his presence to be invalidated by some human claim to culture or history or tradition. No, he's going to force her to come face to face with the truth of who he is and he's going to force her to to make a decision and he forces us to do the same Jesus is telling her and us that if we want to take Jesus up on his offer of living water overflowing in us we have to get rid of that stale stagnant water that we've been living off for our whole lives Jesus is the true and living God and he isn't contained geographically and he isn't contained architecturally He is spirit, and he is truth, and she doesn't get it. She can't get past the idea that true worship has nothing to do with territory. And many of us, may, may I dare say, struggle with the exact same thing. She can't get past the idea that true worship has nothing to do with territory and everything to do with spirituality and truth. And so she tries one more thing. <laughs> I know when Messiah comes, he's going to make it all make sense. (laughs) And Jesus says, I am. I am him. I am him. And I'm going to pause and give you a third lesson and come back to that. Here's the third wall that Jesus breaks down. He breaks down walls of racial prejudice. He breaks down uh, walls of gender. And he breaks down walls of moral correctness. Jesus doesn't just hang out with Nicodemus types. No, he has come to be with, to engage, and ultimately to save even those with questionable pasts and bad reputations. Jesus takes the risk. He reaches out. He speaks to her in spite of her past. He delights in breaking down traditional cultural barriers that separate people. We talked about last week that remedy that Jesus or that God offered in the wilderness. And we said that where, that remedy was available to everyone. And that truth still remains today. The remedy of Jesus is available to anyone regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how many mistakes you've made. It is still available to you today a woman looking for love in all the wrong places and a ruler of the people and a member of the Je- sanhedrin the jewish and it doesn't matter both need jesus and jesus remedy is the same he says it's available to you nicodemus it's available to you woman at the well it's available and let me ask you this if if jesus was willing to speak to her who won't he speak to And if there's nobody that Jesus won't speak to. What does that mean for us? There should be nobody we don't speak to either. Regardless of their sinful past. Regardless of their ridiculous decisions. Regardless. If Jesus was willing to speak. Will we Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see. Hmm. Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they all went out from the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I might have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see, the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I've sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Here's a woman who's been completely trapped. She's a social outcast. She's a woman with a past that made her future impossible. All she could do in her life was muddle through another day of existence and make sure she goes to the well at a time when no one was there to sneer or mock her. Now... She's become the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. Before any of Jesus' own followers could do it, she has told them that he is the Messiah. Did you read that in the text? Where did the disciples go when they left Jesus by the well? They went into town to find food. They had every opportunity to speak to the Samaritans about the guy that was sitting out by the well. The one they knew was the Messiah. They could have they could have gathered a crowd and said, hey, the Messiah is here. He's out by the well. Come. Listen to him. Come hear what he has to say. Come and see. Because that's what we've been doing and he's absolutely amazing. But do they do that? No. Why? Racial prejudice. Gender prejudice. Moral correctness. All of these walls they've built around. They're, they're they're still living in that. They're walking with Jesus and yet they don't see it. Do we see it? Do we see it? This woman, this outcast, she runs back to the very town that rejected her. And she tells anyone who will listen about this encounter with Jesus. And then they came and saw for themselves. And they believed. I want you to notice this. This is just so fascinating to me. I want you to notice how this woman's perception of Jesus changes. It starts, she calls him a Jew, right? Look back to verse 9. You a Jew talking to me? A Samaritan woman? That doesn't happen. And then from Jew, she begins to call him Sir or Lord. She's not, this isn't a a Lord of belief kind of thing. This is just a, a somewhat title of respect. Then in verse 19, she's starting to catch on. Now he's not just a Jew and he's not just someone that needs some respect. He's a prophet. And from prophet, she transitions into Messiah, to Christ. And then rabbi. And ultimately, do you see what she finishes with in verse 42? He is the savior of the world. What a transition, right? She, she moves from, from a Jew to the savior of the world. What begins as a title of respect evolves into a title of belief. And while salvation may be from the Jews... The point is that salvation is designed to reach outside and to embrace the world. And if we will spend time with Jesus, if we will invite our people, our friends, our coworkers, our whoever to come and see, I think this same change of perception can happen in the lives of anyone who will spend time with Jesus. I told you I wanted to come back to gender. Let me do that now. Jesus breaks down racial walls. He breaks down walls of moral correctness, correctness. And he breaks down walls of gender. Jesus has zero problem with her, a woman, being his first evangelist to the Samaritan people. In fact, I believe it's because of her efforts that the gospel actually finds a home in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And I want to say this. I want to say this to all of our ladies in the crowd today, but specifically, I want to talk to my younger ladies in the crowd as well. There is work for you to do in the kingdom. There is work for you to do in the kingdom of God. Important, life-giving work for you to do in the kingdom. You can share your faith. You can be an evangelist just like this woman in John 4. You can impact the entire city and beyond with your faithfulness and with your witness to Jesus Christ or your witness of Jesus Christ. I want you to know you are valuable. You are needed. You are a huge part of this church. I dare say we could not function without you. You can serve. You can lead. You can make a difference. You are not less than. You are not a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. And anyone who treat you as such should be ashamed. Like this woman, I want you to step up and I want you to step out in the name of Jesus. Ask God to reveal places where you can make a difference and then go after it with all that you have. This woman had every reason to keep her mouth shut that day as he met Jesus at the well. But she threw aside all those excuses and she ran back to her town to tell people about Jesus. She did not care what was expected of her. She did not care about the whispers. She cared about telling everyone about the king. Of the world. And all of us, men and women, we must do the same. Get rid of your excuses. Let go of your fear and step into the God given role He's given you. And spending time with Jesus. Man, if we will do that, if we'll just spend time with Jesus, if we will just come and see, if we'll be with Him and examine the evidence, if we'll spend time with Him. We can make the same transformation. Uh, the people around us can make the same transformation that this woman made. And I believe that we will come to see, not just like this woman, but as the whole town of Samaria did, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's time for us to break down walls just like Jesus did. Walls of racial prejudice. Walls of gender Walls of moral correctness. Throw them away. Jesus did. And the world has never been the same since. You want to change the world? Start there. Start there. Be Jesus to the world around us. And people will come and people will see and people will be transformed. But you got to throw aside the excuses. And you've got to march to the beat of the drum of your King. So will you? I hope that you will.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here's our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.